Welcome to Ship We Do For Love, the podcast where we delve deep into the gap between our human need for love and connection and our secret belief that we're not really good enough to be loved and all the weird that ensues. I'm your host, Wendy Windle. This podcast is sponsored by my guide to getting you back time for you. Head to wendywindle.com, there's a link in the show notes, and get your free copy of five ways to create boundaries that give you back time for you. Because never having enough time for ourselves is just more shit we do for love. Welcome, listener, my love, to Shit We Do For Love, our first full episode. Thank you for listening and welcome. I am joined today by the wonderful Christina Carlson, a life and embodiment coach, speaker and facilitator, and the host of the podcast, Witches, Bitches and Queers. Christina's work centers around supporting her clients to accept their whole selves with compassion, helping them reclaim parts of themselves that they have been taught to reject and redefine relationship in a way that supports them to thrive. Christina and I are about to get into a deep conversation around losing ourselves for love. How to tell if you're in a codependent relationship. Well, we actually get into what is a codependent relationship first, and then how to turn that around if you've accidentally fallen into one, which is easier than you might think. Also, how to make space for yourself in your own relationships and why we need to. We even get into what our versions of enlightenment are. We, we go deep here. And enlightenment, by the way, is so much more attainable and gentle than what you might be striving for. You don't have to be in a relationship or in a codependent relationship to get so much value out of what Christina has to share. So tuck in. But be warned, we are grown-ups and use grown-up language, which some listeners may find offensive, even though it's never our intent to offend. Christina, Christina, welcome, welcome to Shit We Do For Love. When you got in touch and described yourself to me, I knew I had the fortune of meeting a real mermaid goddess of a human who's had so many rich life experiences that you draw from to help others maybe not make the same mistakes as deeply as you did. And sister, that I felt like you were plucking my violin strings then. I was like, oh my goodness, I found an absolute sister. You feel to me like somebody who won't be told and has to go and make all the mistakes yourself and learn the hard way. And I can put my hand up as a card carrying member of that group too. Yes, 1000%. <laughs> I, 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 used to, I used to think that I was like the person who could like listen, um, but but I'm not even happy there. I ha I have to jump in. I have to make the mistakes. It's half the fun. Right? I I so get that. It's not even fun to listen sometimes, is it? When people are like, this is a mistake. You know, I'm seeing a lot of red flags for you. You maybe shouldn't. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> I'll learn something. <laughs> I'll learn something. I'm strong. I'll survive another day. <laughs> I'll figure it out. Yeah, it's like a, uh, you know, I I just realized. I don't know if you're familiar with human design, but I've realized that my my life path is really to to jump in and figure things out while I'm doing it. It's, I mean, you know, there's a reasonable amount of like learning to do, and I adore learning, but like jumping in 
with whatever learning I have at the time is really how I'm gonna like make my own magic for my life and the people around me. Yes, I agree. I yes, I'm a manifesting generator in human design and very much have that path too that I have to physically experience what is happening. But then the best thing about that is you come back with gold, right? So it's amazing to be able as coaches to sit and sorry people, but hold space for for your clients in that space of I know what you're going through because I've put myself through it too. So the ladder that I'm going to hand you isn't made up. I didn't get it from a book. I got it from life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's real. And it's not ever like a talking down to you. It's like, I only know this because I've been there. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and somewhere we've both been and we're excited to dive in and talk about today. The, the shit we do for love on today's podcast is get into codependent relationships. Now, codependency in relationships was the buzzword in relationships. I've, I've noticed that there's generally a buzzword in relationships. Right now, it's narcissism. Everyone's a narcissist. You're probably with a narcissist. You could be a narcissist yourself. You know, five minutes ago, it was the attachment theory thing, right? You know, what kind of attachment theory do you have? So there's general buzzwords. And I'm going to age myself here now, but way back in the early 2000s, it was codependency. So we were all worried about being in codependent relationships. And it seems to have fallen out of favor. Nobody's really talking about codependency anymore. So even I Googled it this morning. I was like, what does Google say is codependent? What gems will Google come up with? And Google says that codependency is a relationship where one person is a caretaker and the other person takes advantage. And I was like, okay, Google, but that actually feels like the tip of the iceberg. And I don't think many people could relate to that big, broad statement. So then I asked my husband, P, because he's incredible and insightful. And I said, P, what's a codependent relationship to you? And he said, mm, you mean like you want an example? And I said, yeah, yeah, boil it down. Give me an example of a codependent relationship. And he's so cool. He took one more sip on his coffee, then looked me dead in the eye and said, Hugh Hefner and all those girls. <laughs> I was like, oh, my goodness. Yes, you nailed it. I remember back from the early 2000s as well doing Julia Cameron's work, The Artist's Way, and she talks about codependent relationships as being those crazy makers that come into our life, those people that they always call you last minute having an emergency and you have to drop everything and go to them. They're the people that suck the energy out of you. But of course, if you're in a relationship with one of those people, you're in a codependent relationship because you haven't actually got out of it. But you're the expert, Christina. So what's your take? What is a codependent relationship. Oh God, thank you for that that whole like intro. I'm so fascinated. I'm actually guest speaking in a course on on Monday that's specifically on codependence. So there are still people doing work on codependence. I think we're we're naming it different things. The the more popular way to name it, um, termed by James Olivia Chu Hillman, is right relationship. So shifting away from codependence to right relationship, mm. which is a relationship without power dynamics. If you look back in, um, I think you said the early 2000s, but even like even as back as the 90s, you've got Codependent No More um, by Beattie. I forget her last name, but she wrote the book Codependent No More. And specifically, codependence was a phrase that was coined for the partners or spouses of alcoholics or narcotic addicts so mm -hmm. that that's like kind of where it comes from is like one person is 
quote unquote, taking advantage, but really the codependent is the person who is enabling the person with an addiction by trying to control and manage that dynamic. So what's happening is one person, the codependent, is sacrificing themselves and laying down parts of their lives in an effort to support, control, manage, shift another person for whatever mm. means and whatever goal. <clears throat> now, this is but, sounding more relatable. <laughs> Sacrificing right? parts of yourself in a relationship. Ooh, okay, okay. <laughs> keep going, keep going. I'm feeling a bit nailed. <laughs> <laughs> So, so like, yeah, it's like, um, I think, I think a lot of us, um, when we first learned about codependence, because it was specifically related to alcoholics and those who are in relationship with alcoholics, that's where Al-Anon comes in. Al-Anon is for codependence, but originally specifically for people who are in relationships with alcoholics. So you've got that branch of things and that kind of like pinned codependence in a very specific niche. But what people started to realize as they went on was it didn't take someone being in a relationship with an alcoholic for that dynamic to take place. It just, it had to be somewhat abusive or unequal. So um, I don't know if you're familiar with people who have been through a deconstruction process from religion, but my work is primarily with people who have gone through something like that. And those who are raised with really, um, what's the word I'm trying to look for, dogmatic or um, radical, probably is a better word, radical religious faiths um, have the same symptoms as those raised by alcoholic parents. And that's from the work of Marlena Winnell. But they they have the same symptoms and it's often codependence because you're coming from a very strict, specific environment where a person chooses something over their children so an alcoholic parent is choosing alcohol or drugs over their child, or a person who is in a really radical religious group is choosing that group and the priorities over their children's well-being. So there's like that dynamic, which is like on the more extreme end of things, but it, it filters into this dynamic where people are sacrificing themselves in relationships and, and calling that love. Because if you're raised in any kind of environment like that, you're told that giving up yourself, giving away your identity or like giving up your time, sacrificing who you are to make someone else more comfortable is by definition love from how you were raised with it. And that's codependence because there's no room for you in that dynamic. And I think then when, when we get into this trickle down, we get into almost every relationship on the planet, right? Because <laughs> yeah. in, in some way, when we get into a relationship with somebody, there's we our need for love and connection is so great that it kicks off this equal and opposite fear that what we're bringing to the table is not good enough, right? So we start to just, I'm just going to, we're like that ugly sister's chopping off bits of our toe to try and fit in the shoe, you know, like, I'm just going to chop off this bit. I'm just going <laughs> to downplay this bit of me. I'm just going to pretend I'm a little more this and a little less that just for a few months to get into this relationship. You know, I remember years ago listening to an interview with Halle Berry and she just nailed it. She said, the first six months of any relationship, you've sent your, you've sent your representative. Like, yes, you're right. Like your agent is in this relationship, you know, but you can't keep that up. You know, we mm. have to at some point reveal who we really are, get vulnerable, lay ourselves on the table. But if we have a strong belief that 
all of us as we are. And I'm speaking as someone who's been called too loud, too much, too much energy, too intense, too angry, too emotional, too sensitive my whole life, that all of these parts for me were really hard to allow into a relationship. That's the parts of me that I found myself, you know, outside of religious dogma or um, organized religion relationships, like simply in dating was not bringing my whole self to the table. And I find when you do that, now you've created a power dynamic, right? Yeah. And I mean, it's the same, it's the same concept is like, you're not worthy of love as you are. You need to do something more like the root of it is the belief that like, it's not okay, that you aren't okay, as you are, like, like you were mentioning too much, too loud to whatever, like in, in early dynamics, whatever it is, like, doesn't need to be alcoholics or fundamentalist religion like it can just be existing in our patriarchal society that you're told that because you're a girl you need to sit and be still and be sweet and be whatever it is and you're too loud and you get these messages that like that you will only be approved of if you are not that if you are something else so we take we take on those roles and we shift and contort ourselves in those relationships. And like you said, I feel like there's, there's a little bit of an exception in like, of course, you're at the beginning of a relationship, you are like sending your representative in some ways, but that's also to build trust for healthy vulnerability. So there is like a necessary phase of like leaning into trust and then allowing more of yourself to show as you feel safe to do so. But, but it's also it's it's like then that you start to notice are is it possible and do you feel safe and if you don't if you don't know who that person is then like who you are to show up then there's some work that needs to be done there for you to feel safe in yourself to show up at all cuz if if you've been hiding parts of yourself your whole life you might not even know who you are mm. oh that that statement just made me feel really sad because of the truth of it. The truth mm-hmm. of it. If we've been hiding who we are, we, we've so lost touch with who we really are. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's part of being codependent for most of your life. And I mean, that, that was my life story. So like finding, like coming back to ourselves and moving into right relationship or an interdependent relationship, which would be the the space where you are allowed to take up room and be all that you are. At the same time, someone else is allowed to take up space and be all that they are. That's interdependence where you're both able to have needs. You're both able to show up and not have that like one person is there to serve another Um, And both people are responsible for that dynamic. Oh, and I think that's such a beautiful middle way to talk about as well, the interdependence of relationships. Years ago, I had a really amazing gestalt therapist. I loved working with him, but we had really interesting conversations because at the time I was in a codependent relationship with an alcoholic classic you know I went for the top 10 classic (laughs) (laughs) and he was supporting me through that Mm. but he was trying to get me in into a mind space 
where I could assume or think about myself going into another relationship, because this one was not savable, going into a different relationship where I would not need the other person and they would not need me. And I was just like, dude, this is not your I don't know what religion you're in, but it's not mine. (laughs) (laughs) What is the point? That's inhuman. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I I feel like that's... What? Go ahead. Surely it's okay in a relationship to have needs and to meet needs of another. Yes. Good. Good God. Yes. We're, We're human. And I think like... I think the idea that we don't need anyone and like we come at relationships from that is very individualistic and honestly capitalistic, like as though we are machines that can operate fully functionally by ourselves and not have have need of another human being Mm. is is unattainable. And I think we've all had those. I'm only going to speak for myself. I have totally had those experiences where um, brief relationships have been completely an exchange, you know, a kind of cold hearted. We're here. We know what we're here for. Let's get it. That was amazing. Lost your number. Sauce. You know? <laughs> and that's that's allowable. That's OK. That's, you know, if both parties are willing. I've also been on the side of being in a relationship with someone where I thought it wasn't transactional, but it turns out it was on their behalf. And I know I've definitely been the person who was in it just as a transaction, like, and, and broken hearts because I didn't realize that the other person was bringing more to the table than I was willing to or capable of at the time. So of course, relationships are so messy and complicated, but yes, this idea that we can go through life and never need another human being. I think that takes a lot of a lot of really hard work to deny who we really are. Mm. Yeah, it's almost like denial on the other end of things. Like you haven't really left the denial of your humanity because in codependence you're denying that you have needs for the sake of another person and in hyperindependence you're denying you, that you have needs for the sake of a different kind of safety, like almost like freedom from having to feel the yeah. depth of vulnerability and connection. Because it's, I mean, let's face it, it's scary, isn't it? Vulnerability. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the scariest thing you'll ever do is open yourself completely to another human being. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. When I was thinking about uh, this conversation, I was thinking about this relationship that I was in for about seven years. And it was, um, I I w- was raised in a in a way that like I was supposed to not like, I was really supposed to sacrifice myself in relationships and in all dynamics. Like I was raised to be to serve, and I was excellent at it. And um, so like relationships to me were where I would be basically like an assistant to someone else's life, like a very supporting, submissive wife was essentially mm-hmm. what I was supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> and I went to study abroad in Hawaii in college and like this boy walked well he's like 25 I think I was like 18 um but he walked out of the ocean and I had a, like a literal Baywatch moment like it was <laughs> love at first sight like just instantly I was like 
I, I think the line that like went through my head was like, I'm in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we all know. I hope, oh, listener, I hope you know that feeling. It's delicious and dangerous. Yes. You know it's going to end up in tears, <laughs> but you go for it anyway. So you're in trouble. <laughs> yes. And it lasted seven years. It was like emotionally abusive and like it was it was very codependent like I I ended up like you know thinking about the shit we do for love I was just like the things that I did in this relationship like the ways that I completely gave up even the little the very little that I knew of who I was to be in this space in this relationship were like extreme <laughs> there's one funny story I was thinking of I was um this boy and one of my best friends were invited to a wedding that I wasn't invited to. And they were going to be like hanging out in the city before and then after. And I didn't want to miss out. So there was this like FOMO in me and also like the need to be near this person. And so I went, I went to the city with them and then they went to the wedding and I was in the city alone for like nine hours. And and it was like the middle of the night and I was like sleeping in a San Diego train station <laughs> oh. just so that I could like make sure that I was there when he got back. And like looking back, I was like, what the actual fuck was I thinking? Like, I, it's just like so it's so intense and so like not something that I would ever do now, but like there was I realized like looking back that there was a part of me that felt seen by him mm -hmm. that I believed would not exist without him and I think that's true of a lot of these codependent dynamics we get in is like when what happens is when someone sees us in a particular way they see a part of us that no one else does or they see us in a way that we're longing to be seen we attach to that as though it is connected to them and not us. But like the goodness of who I was was not because of him. It was just the first time that I'd seen it. The way that he listened to me talk, the way that he liked and enjoyed my mind and the way that I thought was something that I hadn't experienced outside of my family. So for me, it was just like, oh, I found it. I can't lose this because it doesn't exist outside of this dynamic. And that's why it feels so devastating to like consider like leaving or losing because you think that you're going to lose a part of yourself in that process. Oh, 100%. And I've been there, I've had that moment with my six year relationship with an alcoholic. <laughs> it all began with him, I was working in a bar. What a perfect relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I had my back to the customers. <clears throat> I was cleaning glasses. It was dead. It was in the new year. There was nobody there. It was that sort of dead time between Christmas and New Year. And I heard this voice order a drink and a train of emotions ran through me. And I started to shake. And I hadn't even turned around and looked at him yet. And I knew in that moment that I had met my husband. I was just, it was, it was like another world link. And for me, <laughs> That allowed us to slide into a codependent relationship super fast because I had never experienced that train wreck 
of emotions, which of course now I understand it's just chemistry, baby. And you have it with other people on the planet too. But I, you know, I was like a gosling fixing on this human being. It was like, you are my love. You are the source of love for me in my life. So even though he was difficult, he was jealous, he was still married when we met, you know, so, you know, his like, I think third marriage was falling apart. And I'm like, yeah, I want a slice of this pie. (laughs) (laughs) Because, Because of this feeling like something cosmic was happening between us. And that became my addiction. And, you know, mm. fast forward to that, I knew I had to get out of this relationship when six years later, he criticized me for something, a purchase I had made for the house. And he criticized me for the way that I had made it. And Christina, I took to bed for 24 hours. My identity was so wrapped up in pleasing this human being and being everything for this human being and our relationship being this cosmic kind of gift from God, that the slightest criticism made me sink into a dark black hole, incapable of getting out of bed for 24 hours. And that's when I started therapy. <laughs> and that's when I met my therapist who was like, okay, we're going to help you crawl out of this hole because this is no longer love. He's addicted to substances and you're addicted to him. But yeah, the things we do in those relationships. But, you know, it's like we talked about at the top. We've been there. We've been there, which just mm-hmm. gives you capacity and a space of non, non-judgment to understand that we will do anything to be loved. Well, yeah, like to not be loved is to die. Like mm. if you think about how we're we're like. We evolved in community to to be safe, right? Like mm-hmm. we we evolved to like one of the most basic needs we have is belonging. And if we weren't raised, if we we're gonna want to go back like to attachment, like that the other trend, <laughs> attachment <laughs> theory, like we if we weren't raised with secure attachment, which most of us weren't, then we don't have anything to fall back on that keeps us anchored. We jump and attach to things that give us a sense of belonging, whether that be a cult or a job that you throw yourself into and give everything Mm -hmm. over for or a relationship. You've got like it's the same dynamic of like purpose and belonging and safety like we those are needs. And Mm -hmm. so for us, the shit we do for love is is like we. It's a it's like a need that's why we do it that's why we do it so ferociously we don't we're getting it from a source that's unsustainable and in a way that's not healthy but like we do it with good reason because we needed to to survive it's just like if you're aware of it now maybe there's another way we can try yes right but I think that's so important to take because I know a lot of people listening to this might now be starting to look at their own relationships and go oh shit But then the shame that comes with that, I certainly felt that. I was like, you know, I'm a well-educated, very privileged woman. How the hell have I ended up in this mess? And I didn't get help for a long time because I felt so ashamed, you know, because I felt I've got everything and yet here I am messing it up. What's wrong with me? And yet to get, you know, a few more years down the line and understand more about human psyche and human development and that all we're trying to do is fill a need that isn't like, oh, I need an ice cream or some chocolate. It's a, we die 
without love and connection. You can, you know, this is what the tragedy of the Romanian orphans that we saw, you know, 20 years ago was that these children were being fed, they were being tended to in terms of cleanliness, but they were not being held. They were not getting to feel that they had attached or bonded with anyone. And these babies died. No, it's touch, connection, love is as vital as air, food and water to a human. No wonder we'll do anything to get it. Yeah. And there, there really is no, like there need be no shame around like what we do. There is nothing wrong with you there's nothing wrong with me like we are we are wired to survive and the fact that we're here at all says we've done it mm-hmm. you know like the the betterment or or like wanting to to have something better for your life or l- look different like i want to feel better in my life is secondary to survival so you being here <laughs> means you fucking did it and <laughs> Like there's no shame in that. Like we we've made it, we've made it work. We've, we've managed to get our needs met by whatever means that we were capable of. The betterment is now, oh, you desire something new for your life. You do have everything in you. You need to do that because look, you've survived. You figured it out and you will continue to figure it out and you will find a better way for yourself with Mm. support, you know, support that you maybe you probably didn't have access to before or have awareness of people are smart. Like we're not just like not doing things for no reason. <laughs> you know, there's a reason if you're like, if you see what it's like for anyone to be a child, like, and not have their needs met to feel that devastation in your heart. And then you look at them as an adult in a relationship that's codependent. It's like, well, of course, like if you only knew the pain that existed in the most vulnerable parts of this person, then everything they do makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. We're we're human. And that's like I feel like that's an essential way to move to move forward into an interdependent re- relationship from where you are is to step away from shame and to start practicing self-compassion for every part of you that has existed up until this point. Because while you're doing that, what you're doing is creating capacity to move forward and to make new mistakes in a way that you are able to grow from. Hmm. Before we talk about getting out and creating this independent relationship, I just want to circle back a smidgen to, we've talked a little bit about how we fell into our codependent relationships. Is there any way that people can sort of maybe do a little check-in or a test with themselves? They're sitting there now listening to this going, oh my, am I a codependent relationship? (laughs) Is there a test? How do people know? (laughs) Ooh, I feel like that's, excuse me, very individual. Um, The first thing that comes to mind is like, is there, like for me, it's like, is there room for my feelings and my needs? in this space like without extreme resistance like (laughs) and this is going to be a very basic example but if you're going on on a road trip and you get on the road and it's like 15 minutes but you've had a nice coffee and you need to pee 
Do you feel perfectly comfortable saying, oh my God, like, I know we just started, but I have to pee. And the person is going to be like, yeah, sure. Or, or make a joke, like joke about it. If they know that it's funny with you, like if they know it's cool, is it going to be cool? How does your nervous system feel in making a request for you that might feel a little silly? Like, where is that landing in your body? Mm. I think that is such, and like you say, is very individual. So bringing this back to the body is such an amazing key to unlock that answer. Am I in a codependent relationship? Well, how do you feel before you make a request? Yeah. Yeah. Does it, does it feel, I mean, everything, I think everything comes back to our bodies. That's where our needs, desires, and feelings reside. It's not in our mind. It's like the sensations of a feeling is what we try to avoid when we try to avoid a feeling like that's. Mm -hmm. That's the ground of interdependence. That's the ground of codependence is the sensations of the body. So checking in with that, like how do you feel connected to your body? Do you feel like you can meet your needs? Can Do you feel safe to ask for a hug or a space or like what you need in an argument? Do you need to take a break? Like, is it safe to do that? And like, there's two things that happen here. And I want to make that really clear because um, it could be that you, your whole life have been in a codependent relationship with everything. And you might be in a safe relationship now where you just haven't practiced or moved into taking up the space that mm -hmm. it is it is now safe to take up. So that's, I feel like that's important to make a distinction. Um, so if you're, if that might be the case, like, try it <laughs> like try expressing a need and then checking in with how you feel because it could be that it is safe but if it's not and if your needs are like feels way too much to ask for and you know the response isn't good then it's then it's probably not a safe space for you to have needs that's such an important distinction that we get to test our current relationship I know for me, I had been so trained by codependency to always skirt the issue of my own needs that I had. Mm -hmm. I did not know this, but I, I was incapable of answering a straight question. You know, <laughs> what do you want for yeah. dinner? I would go on a monologue, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just skirt yeah. the question of what do you want for dinner? Or do you want to meet up with those friends on Friday night? Well, um, I don't know. I mean, what time do you finish work? <laughs> you know, <laughs> And it took meeting someone like my husband who would just nail me every time by saying, you haven't answered my question. And, <laughs> and it got to the point where I realized the reason I'm not answering your question is that I'm so focused on finding out what your needs are first mm -hmm. so that I know what my answer is. And he was just like, that's insane talk. Like, why? I've, <laughs> I've literally asked you what you want. You should know what you want. Just tell me what you want. And then I'll see if it jibes with what I want. And then we can come to a conclusion as a couple about what we're doing. Like, you don't need to temper yes. what we want based on. I was like, I need more information. What do you want? <laughs> How are you feeling? What do you want for dinner? Do you like <laughs> <laughs> like yes one, just your needs your wants and it wasn't until yeah. I met him that I realized I I don't think I've ever really spoken my needs and wants mm. just blunt 
without a massive caveat. Yeah. So I loved, I love that example because it's so practical and so real. It's like the, I can't decide what to eat on the menu. It's a thing, you know, mm -hmm. like there's too many factors, <laughs> but like, I think it's also really important to note that just because a relationship is codependent doesn't mean that it can't be saved. Mm -hmm. Like the, like, you know, if, if it can't be, then it can't be. If you don't feel safe, you know, you can leave. Um, but also like in the, in the specific dynamics that you and I are talking about, where we were trained our whole lives to skirt the issue, to find out how everyone else feels like those kinds of circumstances if your relationship is codependent there and you start stepping into this is what I need this is what I'm wanting right now and taking up your space the relationship will change and it could be that it just needed to shift mm. because now you're showing up fully that gives your partner permission to show up in a different way that it actually saves a lot of relationships because you take responsibility for what you want, responsibility for what you need. You're owning yourself in a different way and it allows the other person more freedom. So it's it's not like a if you're listening and you're like, I have a codependent relationship, I need to break up. Like <laughs> not, not, not necessarily. Like only you can know that, obviously. But there, there will be a shift as you start to own your wants, needs, and desires. Mm -hmm. And how that plays out is going to be in your best interest. Because if you start to step in and take up your space, and you as an individual move away from codependence, the relationship is going to shift. It will be, it will end, or it will be a much more positive, supportive space for you and the other person. If you are enjoying this episode and want more support with putting yourself first, swing on over to the next episode once you finish this one, of course, where I will take you deeper into this topic and share my number one tip for taking up more space, really the space that you deserve in your relationships. Look out for how to make space for yourself in relationships. If you want even more support, I've got you. Come and join my membership, the Love Your Bloody Self Club. Head to wendywindle.com forward slash love club. That's wendywindle.com forward slash love club for more details. Now, back to the chat with Christina, where we get into how you might actually be blocking love from coming your way and what to do about that. You said so many cool things right now. I'm going to break them all down. First of all, this idea of when you change in a relationship, either it will morph into something mutually beneficial or it will end. If you're listening to this love and that thought of your relationship ending fills you with dread, fear, anxiety, once like you just do not know how you will survive, it's kicked mm -hmm. off that I will die if this mm -hmm. relationship ends then my darling, you have work to do. Because mm -hmm. for me, this is the seed of a codependent relationship is living in absolute terror of the relationship ending. Look, would I be sad if my relationship with my husband ended? Of course I would. He's an amazing human being. I love him. I love our energy together. 
But I stand firmly in a space of knowing that while it would be sad, and of course I would cry a lot, you know, maybe even throw a few things, I would be fine and get over it. And when you're in a codependent relationship, that feeling is not available to you. You can recreate it by exactly what Christina is talking about, starting to stand up for your needs and test the waters and bring all of you into the relationship. Because what we do in codependency is, is so counterproductive, right? We're leaving half of ourselves at least on the bench outside the house and not bringing it in. In the idea, this false assumption that I'm safer if just this tiny part of me is in the room with this person. But all we've done is create a dynamic where we can never be fully and wholly loved. We will never experience the kind of love that makes us feel secure and strong in who we are because we know it's fake. On some deep, dark level, we know like, oh, but if you knew all of me. And when you start Mm. bringing all of you into the relationship, every want, every need, every, I'm speaking for myself, every temper tantrum, every mood swing, and still receive love, Mm. it builds that confidence of, I am lovable, no matter what, by this person, but mostly by myself. Mm. Yeah, I I would say like the, if that, if that like, rises in you that like terror of like losing someone you know like you're human and I would be curious for I would be curious for that person to like explore space just being with yourself mm-hmm. and explore what that feels like to like tenderly hold yourself or set a five minute timer and just like sit and and be with just you every day because because like the it's so it's like being it's like being lost it's like you lose yourself in this other thing right and this other thing becomes everything or this other person becomes everything and you almost forget that you're a body you almost forget that like or like you're watching a movie, right? You're watching a movie and like it gets too intense, you look away, right? Like you look mm-hmm. at the people next to you, is this okay? Yeah, we're okay. We're just watching a movie, right? But like it's almost like you're watching a movie and you forget that you're here, not in there. And like coming back to your own heartbeat and your own body, like this body is right here. It's mine. This is mine. This is me. Just even that step can ground you into a space where you can then start to take up more room and then consider other other needs or other desires even that you have to feel in a relationship. Yes, coming back home to this, this home, this portable, gorgeous home that we were given on our birthday. <laughs> it's like, it's <laughs> ours for life. And we do tend to forget that she is here to support us, right? There's something incredibly loving and grounding about simply putting attention on your breath just for five or six deep breaths, just to remember, you know what? My mind thinks that I need this other person to survive, but actually I'm a grown up. I'm no longer a baby. I'm no longer dependent on those around me. I have everything I need right here Mm -hmm. in this skin. 
Yeah. And it's, it's easy in codependence to prioritize someone else as having a body and having needs. Like we'll mm. lay down over someone else's <laughs> need to have a cupcake right now, but like <laughs> heaven forbid, we take the space to like go get whatever we need or go pee. You know, mm. it's, it's like, it's just the remembering that like you carry as much weight as this other person. Mm-hmm. Like you have the same value that you are placing on this other person. And the things that we see in others are often what we see in ourselves or what we can't see in ourselves yet, but exist there already. So if we are attaching our worth and value on this other person, 90% of the time it's us projecting. Like it's not that they don't have value, but like what we see in them tends to be us. Mm, I love that. You're so right. The magic, the strength the compassion and the specialness that oh the my chemistry goodness, you're <laughs> such an incredible human being that's really just the projection of who we are mm-hmm. yeah mm. you touched a little bit earlier as well I just want to draw a line under it because it's so important that I think that first sort of google description of codependency there's a caretaker and there's someone taking advantage and be mm-hmm. so simplistic and not really my experience of codependent relationships where there's actually both people are in a codependent relationship. I know with my with my long-term relationship with my ex, as much as, yes, his, his substance abuse took up a lot of time for both of us. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but also when we remained friends after we got out of that relationship and he went into some deep therapy and we had some great chats and he was able to bring to the table all the different ways that he had become codependent on me. So mm. he had put me on a pedestal as his princess, as this perfect creature that he must take care of. And he was leaving so much of himself out of the relationship. And, you know, mm. it's funny as friends now, we're able to go for dinner and laugh and just be like, we loved each other so much, but neither of us was wholly showing up in that relationship. So I think mm. that's an important thing to say. It's not, there's not necessarily a goodie and a baddie in the relationship. You can both suck. No. <laughs> <You know? laughs> There's room for you both to suck. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, that's so good. And it's, it's true. It's like, it's just a codependent in a different way. Like if you've been codependent, you've probably dealt with some form of addiction whether it's to a person or a job or work, you know, workaholism or whatever, like there's, there are two sides of the same coin. So you are leaving a part of yourself out and it's also dehumanizing on both sides. Because if you are not showing up as your whole self, you are depriving another person of the opportunity to know you and if they are taking up more space and trying to take advantage of you, they're doing the same thing. Like it's happening both ways. There, There's like blocks up on either end that are not allowing in love and vulnerability. That's such a key right there. Getting out of that relationship. I actually, I discovered meditation and went d- deep into meditation. And it was only through there, through actually sitting, like you suggested, sitting with myself and my own thoughts and my own feelings which was super uncomfortable for me because I'd avoided them because they were too big, too scary, too intense. (laughs) Mm, Yes. To realize how many barriers to love I had up. 
And this was a real mind mess for me. I was like, wait a second. So by me showing up to take care, to please, to, you know, to make sure that everybody else is okay, I'm blocking love. Like this made no sense Mm. to me, but I had to really sit with it and realize, yeah, because as long as I'm the one in charge of the caretaking and the taking care of and the making sure the other person is okay, what I'm doing is trying to be in control of the situation. Right? Yes. And yes. if I'm in control, then I've got a wall up. Yeah, and control is an illusion. So it's a lot of energy to maintain an illusion. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I controlled nothing. <laughs> exactly. But but you put so much energy into it. Yeah. So much energy into And, you know, for me in that relationship, my driving thought really was, if I can be jolly enough and happy enough and healthy mm. enough, I will drag him into that state of mind too. And he will release mm. alcohol and not need it anymore. I mean, yes. wow. On the one hand, what an ego. I can cure somebody's deep-seated you know substance abuse that have been going on for 20 years before he met me into like you know but I my smile will cure you (laughs) oh and on the other hand the depth of love that you Mm. had to try and help someone (laughs) I think there's a both and And so much energy. But of course, and this is where the codependency came in, right? Because there was in that I can't be sad. I can't be angry. I can't have needs of my own because I'm here to cheer him up. You know? Yeah. Trying to control the situation and controlling nothing. Yeah. They they're like um in codependent no more, they talk about how you as the codependent gets better, as the codependent releases that need to try to control and cure a problem or fix someone else, the person with the addiction tends to get better. Mm. Like there's a much higher percentage of healing for an alcoholic in AA if a codependent person starts to heal from their codependence and let go of that responsibility and show up as more human. Mm. But like it's it's a very... It feels almost like you're on the monkey bars, right? And you have to like, instead of like them being close together, it's like you have to let go before you reach the next thing. Mm. And there's there's almost this like moment of like trust that takes like all of your effort and all of your energy and all of your bravery to let go before before it gets better, before you reach the like because you're you're letting go of someone else's healing as your responsibility and that feels irresponsible. It feels selfish. It feels unlike love. And in that process, you're giving them the chance to heal, but you can't see that yet. Mm. You have to trust. You have to believe and you have to just come back to yourself and like let it go. And that that takes a lot of support. It's really helpful to have support. But it takes a lot of guts and bravery to let go of something you've been holding on for, to for a very long time. It does. It takes an awful amount because, like you said, you f- it feels inhuman. It feels, mm-hmm. how can I walk away from this person who I love and is suffering? Mm-hmm. And it takes a massive monkey bar leap of faith to trust <laughs> that the best thing you can do for that person is to leave them to figure it out by themselves. 
Yes. Um, yeah. It's so even that is so vulnerable, mm. you know, because it, because it brings up our own attachment issues. And like, if I let this person go, does that mean I'm an unloving person and therefore unlovable or mm. not worthy to be in relationship? There's all kinds of stories that we have around there that we get the opportunity to sit with and move through when we let it go. <laughs> And I think, too, ultimately, when we're in any kind of codependent relationship, it stems from that lack of self-esteem, right? That lack of belief that we live in a world where love is available to us and we are lovable. Mm -hmm. Because when you really sit in that belief, love is available to me and I am lovable, you stop taking shit in relationships, you know? You stop bringing Mm -hmm. shit to relationships because you know that you don't need this relationship to survive. Mm. That more yeah, I, love will come to you easily. Yeah. Yeah. I think like the, you know, there's like an ideal scenario in psychology, which I find a little bit annoying, but like, they're like, if you were loved perfectly as a child, which who was, (laughs) don't know, haven't met him. Um, (laughs) Then, then, you know, innately that like you are worthy of love and that you are love and that it's, that it's easy to, to set boundaries in relationships because you have a firm like space to come back to. You can always come back to home and you know that more love will come to you. You know that as a human, you're worthy of love, right? That's the place that we want to get to. And I don't think that's a, (laughs) I want to say that's more of a practice than an arrival because I don't, I don't personally believe that like in our current state of the world that we can become enlightened, but like the idea is that like you develop a practice where you can come back to that space of trusting that you're lovable. And then in those moments when you forget that you're worthy of love, you come back to that. So you continue to bring yourself back through meditation, through yoga, through write it on your fucking walls. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Like ways to bring yourself back to the belief that you're worthy of love. That to me is the practice at at that stage is like, I need to come back to this in every moment because I wasn't taught this. And so I am learning it. It's, it's your blueprint. It's inside of you. It's your birthright to know that. And so I think it's possible to continue coming back to it in any circumstance. I love what you just said about the practice of that, because I know I come across meditation clients for years and years and years now coaching clients who have this belief and I don't know who started this belief but we need to stop it right now that enlightenment is an end goal it's not I mean, I fl- you know, I'm flipping off the camera the two birds to that. <laughs> <laughs> oh that creates so it's much shame an end goal. I know no. people who've meditated for 20 years and would never say oh I'm enlightened full stop period I'm done stick a pin in me it's not a Thing. It's mm-hmm. the choice in every moment to come back to the experience of love. Yes. Yes. Right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and yes. sometimes our practice is strong and our life is going yep. easy and we're able to just do whatever practices. You know, mm-hmm. I love meditation, yoga, walks in the park, great food, coffee, cake. All of these are part of my spiritual practices. You know? Yes. <laughs> Bring me yes. back into the present moment. Sometimes you're going, great. Mm-hmm. Other times you feel stuck 
and you mm-hmm. know that your your practices aren't juicy anymore mm-hmm. and that's when a coach comes in right mm-hmm. that's when you get to partner with people for a time and say i'm gonna be the wind beneath your wings get these wings flapping again until you remember once more at this new level that you're at how to come home yes yes and and the beauty of the beauty of a practice whatever it means is that you are not arriving at all mm-hmm. the practice is being human the practice is believing in the moments when your things are off when your routines are not right that even in that you are worthy of love mm-hmm. that nothing inherently about you has changed if you stop doing and say that again say that again (laughs) I want to do like yellow highlight that (laughs) that again Christina (laughs) nothing inherently in you has changed when you stop doing Mm. you still are the my brother brilliant human being gets on these rabbit trails of studying things and he was studying like the functions of life through like I don't know, biophysics. I don't know. Anyway, he was like talking about like the laws of the universe and how in order for like things to grow, cells mutate in this particular way. I'm not a science person, but I love listening to it. Basically, he said, in order for the universe to begin, the first law had to be be as opposed to not be. So the fundamental law of the universe is that you be. And if we can come back to that, that that just being is enough because it is, that is where our worth is based. We don't have to actually do to attain or achieve enlightenment. It is really, really truthfully coming back to the be of it all. Christina, that is (laughs) such a beautiful place to end this conversation. I do have one more question for you, but honestly, love listening to this. Just rewind that last minute and listen. You know what? Put that as your wake-up alarm on your phone so that you wake up every morning listening to Christina telling you the fundamental (laughs) law of the universe is that you're supposed to just be. You don't need (laughs) to create or achieve or do just be oh christina tell us (laughs) you told us so much about yourself today and i'm so grateful for your openness and your vulnerability but i'm going to squeeze that lemon a little harder what is some shit you do for love or maybe used to do for love that you don't do anymore Mm. oh this is a tricky line but i don't wait oh tell me more (laughs) <laughs> I um and actually like this this started very early. I I'm from the moment I was telling you earlier that I was in San Diego and waited for 9 hours for someone to come back so that I could just, you know, be there. Um I I realized that that was not a space of invitation for me. Mm. Like I was not being invited into that space. So something that I do is I don't wait around to do things that I want to do. I started this when I when I was dating and before I met my current partner, I decided everything that I thought would be fun to do in the city and I went and did it. 
because I had, I realized that there was this part of me that was just like waiting for my life to arrive, to have the things that I wanted and to do the things that I wanted when I could be with myself, enjoying and doing these things. So I decided that I wouldn't be waiting around and, and it still, it still applies now. Like I don't, I don't wait if I want to, if I want to do something, I'm going to do it and I'll invite people along and to do it with me. But like, I want, I want to be my own best friend and have the satisfaction of fulfilling my own desires. Not because I don't let other people do that too, because I have so many incredible people in my life. But I think it's important for me and for how I am, especially as a recovering codependent, to find absolute delight and satisfaction in my own company. And that is the perfect place to stick another pin in this conversation. For now, Christina, I feel like I want to have you on here like 20 more times in the next week just for me. I'm going to make up <laughs> podcasts and pretend that I'm interviewing you. And really, I'm just hanging out. <laughs> you have been beautiful inside and out, so vulnerable, so open, so articulate and intelligent and deeply, deeply helpful for me. And I know that everyone listening to will just follow you all over the world and squeeze out your goodness. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This has been an absolutely wonderful conversation. And I just want to say, uh, Wendy, that your your written word is exactly like your presence. It's just like delightful. Oh, wow. Thank you. <laughs> and I have to say that is a product of the work of letting all of me show up. So thank you for letting all of me show up with you today, Christina. Absolutely. Thank you. I hope you absolutely loved that conversation with Christina Carlson as much as I did. She is a very generous and nurturing, nourishing soul. So I hope that you got some amazing takeaways from that, dear listener. You can always email me, wendy at wendywindles.com and let me know what your takeaways were. If you would like to know how to make space for yourself in relationships, go and listen to the next episode, which is called how to make space for yourself in relationships. And again, for my single ladies, if you are listening, I've got you. This applies to all relationships, not just romantic ones. If you would like even more support on your journey to love your bloody self, come over and hear all about my membership, the Love Your Bloody Self Club. Go to wendywindle.com forward slash love club. That's one word, love club. If you fell as hard in love with Christina Carlson as I just did, go and find her at Christina Carlson Life Coach on Instagram. That's all one word, Christina Carlson Life Coach on Instagram. Or see the show notes for more, including her quiz, What Type of Rule Breaker Are You? And my darling, if you have not yet got your free guide to building boundaries that get back time for you, go to wendywindle.com where it is waiting for you. Thank you for listening. I bloody love you.